Titus chapter three, verse one. What a great passage. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready, to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility toward all men. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this year, 2022. And I pray that we would go through this year with the right heart and the right mind and the right attitude and that you be glorified. Thank you for these words. Teach us from them today through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, how is 2022 going for you? Have you made any resolutions? And then there was grumbling. I had some outright no's in the early service. Have you already broken your resolutions? Maybe you're like this one person. Watch this clip. Maybe you're to that point. Uh, you want to give up. Well, 2022 is a new year, and we began that discussion last week. I talked to you about that. If you weren't here, be sure to go back to that uh, service. But I wanted to continue today, and I told you last week, by giving you five decisions that will make 2022 the best year ever. Five decisions that will make 2022 the best year ever. Now, Everything that happens to you and to me uh, come from one or two sources. Everything that happens to us, both good and bad, is either external from an external source or internal from an internal source, which is us. The external things are things that happen in this world, the bad things that happen to us, the, the struggles that we have, the um, the weather, the pandemic, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, politics. There are things in this world that happen of which we have little or no control. Those are external factors. And if I ask you today, are you having a good year? You might think in your mind, I'm not having a good year because of this and this and this and this. And many of those things may be external factors because of the world that we live in. 
And I'll be honest, there's not anything that I can do this morning to change that. The world is what it is. It always has been and always will be until Christ comes back, a fallen world. But I can help you, or more to the point, the Word of God can help you about the internal things. And by the way, the internal things far outweigh the external things. In fact, Paul would tell you that the internal things are so substantial that they can overcome the external things. So that Paul, he could be beaten and imprisoned and bloodied and hungry and still be rejoicing. The external part of his life was terrible, but the internal was wonderful. So external or internal factors. If you lost your job this year, maybe that's an external factor and you're struggling with that. If you lost your job because you cussed out your boss, that's an internal issue. Um, If you, um, I can't read my own writing, that's very sad. If you don't have a car right now because you had a blowout, that could be an external factor. That happens to everybody. If you had a blowout because you were trying to break the sound barrier in your car and you wrecked it, that's an internal problem. If you have a health issue, a health crisis in in your life, that may be nothing to, uh, uh, you had no idea. You're just one of those people that ended up getting cancer or or other ailments that come upon you. But if you have health problems because you eat at IHOP five times a week, that's an internal problem and can have a solution to it. So you have to first of all consider how much of my problems are external and how much of them are honestly internal. Many years ago when I was in my late 20s, I was pastoring a church over in East Texas and a guy came by one day, I was still single at the time, he came by and he, he did not go to our church, by the way, but he, he wanted me, he told me he wanted me to fix his wife. That's what he said, pastor, I need you, to, preacher, I need you, he called me preacher, he said, preacher, I need you to fix my wife. And so I counseled with him for a while and turns out in the counseling, he told me that he had committed adultery on his wife with three different women. And then, this true story, he then proceeded to blame his wife for all three affairs. And he basically said this, he said, pastor or preacher, he said, if she was giving me the kind of affection that she should, I wouldn't have cheated on her those three times. That's what he told me. And so basically I told him that maybe if you would stop having affairs against your wife, she might like you more. And so, see, he believed his problems were external when really they were internal. And so I want to give you five directives today. And again, these are internal directives. If you're you're expecting happiness and joy and a wonderful life to come from external factors, you're just going to continue to be disappointed. But internally, if you'll do these five simple things, not easy, but simple things, I'm telling you, 2022 will be the best year you've ever had. Number one, and this sounds trite, I don't mean it that way. It's simple, biblical, and important. Number one, smile more. Smile more. (coughs) That's not that complicated, is it? Now, by the way, I'm not telling you to fake it. 
You know, you're seething with anger on the inside and you smile on the outside. Mary taught me how to do that. Um, it can be frustrating. You put that smile on when you come into church. Uh, that's not what I'm talking about. I mean genuinely smiling because you have a reason to smile. Now, I know most of you, not all of you, but I know most of you, and many of you, most of you have a wonderful smile. I see your teeth gleaming. I see you come in with a big smile on your face. But not everybody is like that, not all the time. Does your family and friends know you as a person who smiles a lot? Do you smile? Are you, are you genuinely, genuinely and generally a happy person? By the way, author Joshua Becker wrote an article sent to me by my wife because she knew uh, I was going to be preaching on 2022. She sent this several weeks back. It was an article entitled Decisions to Make in 22, uh, to Make 2022 Better Than 2021. And I'm getting some of the ideals, including this one, from that article. It was not necessarily a Christian article. And some of the things I didn't agree with, but some of them I do. And then I added a few to it as well. His title was Decisions to Make 2022 Better Than 2021. Not the best year ever, just better than 2021. Well, I have a little issue with that because 2021 is a pretty low standard. <laughs> and so I hope it's a better year than 2021. I remember we hoped last year was better than 2020. That's a low standard. I want 2022 to be the best year of your life. And I believe that God wants the same for you. So number one, Smile more. In Psalm 126, the psalmist is speaking of a time when God delivered them. And here is his description of what happened. He says this. This is a beautiful psalm. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Our tongues with songs of joy. He's happy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. <coughs> At first, he says, let me tell you what happened. God gave us reason to celebrate. He gave us reasons to be happy, and we are happy. And he's not talking about faking it. He's talking about genuine happiness and joy. He says, our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. This is a happy person. And why is he happy? Because he's not dead. <laughs> because God delivered them. And this is his response to the fact that he's still alive, that God spared them. You and I ought to have a certain level of joy just because we're not dead. By the grace of God, you woke up this morning. You did wake up, right? All right, you woke up. You ought to be happy about that. God has, in fact, blessed us in so many ways we should have this level of joy. I'm not saying that you should go around with a big sloppy smile on your face like you just fell in love every single day. But there should be genuinely and generally a smile on your face. I tell you the truth. I picture Jesus, and I'm telling you it was this way, generally as a person that was filled with joy and happiness. Smile more and mean it. Constant sadness will never make your day, your year, or your life any better. President Abraham Lincoln famous, famously said, people are about as happy as they make up their minds to be. You can decide and choose 
whether or not you're going to be happy or not. Don't wait for the external factors. It starts from the inside out. Number two, complain less. Complain less. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 says it this way, and it's a passage I use often. He says, do everything, not a few things or some things or most things. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. I told you, I think it was last week that I said, I think that things are getting worse instead of better in our world. And I think most of you amened me. If you ever turn on the news or you see what's going on in the world, you probably, I told you, I, I think we like the ideal and hope for the ideal that we are progressing as a, as a civilization. We're getting better and better. We're becoming more civilized, but we're not. This world seems to be getting darker and darker every day. But here's what he says. Here's the good news. Here's the upside of that. Paul says to the Philippian church and you and I, as this world gets darker, that makes our light shine even brighter. Does that, does that make sense? The darker it gets out, of there, out there, the more hateful the world gets, the more loving you look. The, the more they frown, the better your smile looks. We as God's people have every reason to shine like stars in this dark world. And so that's what he says. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars. You want to shine like stars? Well, you have to do everything without complaining or arguing. With a lot of us, if we'll just do that, it will transform our entire year. To complain means to express feelings of pain or dissatisfaction or resentment to make a formal accusation or bring a formal charge. Complaining dulls your light. One of the most unattractive things a Christian can be is a chronic complainer, always finding fault, never being contented, never happy. You've probably heard the story of a young preacher who began his ministry in a church that was rife with disunity. So he devised a simple method of dealing with the bickering. Whenever a member came into his office to complain about the pastor or most often one of the other members, this young pastor would take a spiral notebook out of his desk. It was brand new, didn't have anything in it. He would open it up to the first page and he would say to the member, all right, tell me your complaint in a clear manner. And I'm going to write it in this notebook. And Sunday morning in the service, I'm going to read your complaint to the congregation and put your name on it. And we'll deal with it right then. He said in all the years he pastored that church, that notebook never had a single word in it. Because they would walk out and stop complaining. If you'll stop complaining. Myself too, by the way. And again, our, uh, we always see complaining as something other people do. Our complaining isn't complaining. It's just dealing with the issues or being observant or whatever. But the truth is, biblically, it's just plain old complaining. Number three, learn contentment. In 2022, learn to be content with what you have. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 says it this way. This is Paul writing young Timothy. 
But godliness with contentment is great gain. Let me stop right there. He could have said godliness is great gain, and he would be right. Isn't it interesting that he put that extra qualifier on there? Godliness with contentment is great gain. It's the dynamic duo, godliness and contentment. For in verse 7, we brought nothing into the world, and we can do what? We can take nothing out of it. We brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But, he says, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Obviously, Paul never lived in America. <laughs> because we read that and go, really? Food and clothing? That's it? Ugh. Did you know, and, and again, we're, I'm as guilty as anybody else. We get so caught up. We have so much. How many pairs of shoes, this is rhetorical. How many pairs of shoes do you own? How many pair of pants? How many jackets do you have? How much stuff do we have in our house? Now, if you've ever moved, it is shocking when you go to move. Where did all this stuff come from? I have shirts, and I'm not even a clothes guy, but I have shirts and pants I have not worn in decades. But I don't, I, you know, my, my mom was a pack rat, so I'm a pack rat. And Cherry hasn't made me throw them out yet. We talk about it a lot, by the way. I go through my closet, and they're clothes I don't even recognize. But we have it. We're all pack rats. How much stuff do we need? How much will it take to make you happy? When, when will it be go? When you will ever go, you know what? That's enough. I'm done. Did you know that according to a recent U.S. census, 46% of all poor households, poor households in the United States own their own homes. 76% of poor households have air conditioning, while 50 years ago, only 36% of the entire U.S. population enjoyed air conditioning. I remember, because I'm old, when dad in the mid-60s installed a swamp cooler in our house. Now, <clears throat> for the, anybody 40 and younger, a swamp cooler was an air conditioner before they had air conditioners. It was a water-cooled air conditioner. And that was a big day. Uh, I thought we were rich because we had an air conditioner in our house. Of course, Terry grew up in a house with no electricity at all. Air conditioner was opening this window over here and that window over there and hope a breeze blows through. In 1973, <clears throat> the average new house had 1,600 square feet. Today, the average new home being built is nearly 2,700 square feet. The average poor American has more living space than the average individual, not considered poor, living in Paris, London, Vienna, Athens, and other cities throughout Europe. My wife is Filipino, and in the Philippines, most houses have how many rooms? One to two rooms. And the whole family, families, and the big families is this, they sleep in one room. Yeah. You got mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and all the kids there right at your feet or their feet are right at your head and they sleep on mats on the floor. They don't have beds. Oh, we got it good. Amen? Yeah. 97% of poor U.S. households have a color television. That is, our poor people have color TVs. 
Over half own two or more color te televisions. How many, again, rhetorical, how many TVs are in your house? 62% have cable or satellite TV reception. 89% own microwave ovens. More than half have a stereo. And more than a third have an automatic dishwasher. The Apostle Paul might say, how much is enough? When will we be content? It seems like the more stuff we get, the less content we are. If you want to have a good year in 2022, you got enough. It's okay. Be content with what God gave you. Number four, connect more. Connect more. You were built for relationships and work on that. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, again, a passage that I used just a few weeks ago, and I'll use it in a different light today. It says this, Hebrews 10, 24 says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The day is the return of Christ. Here's what he says. He says, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Now, I and every preacher says this. We're talking about don't get, give up going to church. But he doesn't actually say that here. Now, he's talking about believers here. There is this tendency that was already developing for believers to stop meeting together. We have stopped meeting together. You know what we do now? We text. I have learned to despise texting. I hate it. I'm almost to the point of just saying it's from the devil. I cannot envision Jesus ever texting his disciples. Now, I, I get it. You know, you need to meet tomorrow at 10 or whatever. But it is no substitute for just one-on-one, eye-to-eye communication. Connect more. 2020 will be, 2022, excuse me, will be a lot better year if you're able to connect more. I think 2022 will be great or not in accordance to how well we connect with other people. In other words, the more alone you are, the more unhappy you're likely to be. Remember, you were made for relationships. God designed us as social beings. It is hardwired into it. And I always say one of the great truths of life is everything is relationships. Everything is relationships, not stuff. It's relationships. Number five and last. And you know I'm going to say this. I'll say it anyway. You won't get through 2022 without it. Love more. Love more. It doesn't take a theologian to figure that out. Love more. He already says, may we consider how we may spur one another on toward love. In Titus chapter 3, verse 1, our passage for today, I want to look at that a little more closely as we conclude. He says, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities. That's the government, starting big. Start with the government to be obedient, to be ready to do what is good. And I like that. He doesn't just say, do what's good. What does he say? He says, be ready to do what is good. You have to have a mindset for it. So if you're mad when you get in the car and you go into this rush hour traffic that we have in Azle and throughout the Metroplex, you're really going to be mad. 
You have to have a mindset to do good and be ready for it or you're going to be blindsided and you're going to make the wrong decision. Husbands and wives, do you love one another? Are you having a disagreement? Before you go in to have your disagreement, I want you to think of all the reasons that you love your spouse and all the wonderful qualities that they have. Be ready to do good. Don't be ready for battle. Be ready to do good before you deal with that conflict. So he says, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities. That again, that starting broad to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and to show true humility toward all men. But then he says this in verse three. He says, listen to this. At one time, what, what is that time he's talking about? Before Christ, before they were saved, before they were redeemed, before they had the Holy Spirit, before they were Christians, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Listen to what he says. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. That single phrase is the best description I've heard of our country and the most accurate in a long time. Because this is what we do along party lines. We are hated and we're hating one another. They hate us, we hate them, whoever us may be. He says, that's what we used to do when we were lost, but not God's people. Verse four, but when the kindness and love of God, our savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that leads me to the bad theology of the week. Again, I started to doing this a month or two ago. Uh, I don't do it every week, but if I see some really bad doctrine and there's a lot of bad doctrine out there. I want to share it with you. This won't be popular, what I'm about to say, probably. I, not that I'm any great prophet. But I, I think that you need to know this. I, I need to make this clear in my church, or our church, at least, so that we understand what is biblical and what is not. A few months ago, on November the 13th of 2021, uh, just a few months back, at a large church here in Texas, in San Antonio, a video can be seen that went viral of a crowd in the sanctuary of a large church chanting a popular catchphrase about our current president using the name of a race car driver named Brandon. Now, you, you know the phrase. Yeah, it was all funny at first. Uh -huh. And by the way, you're going to hear a lot more as the election comes up toward the end of the year. Now, to be fair to this church, I found out it's, it was not the Sunday morning congregation that did that, but rather an outside group that was allowed to have a conference there. But the church's pastor, his name is John Hagee, a well-known pastor, was embarrassed and I was glad to see he posted an apology on their website. It, it deeply concerned him. As I've told you before, when we say derogatory things about our government, or our president, we're not really saying anything to the president. I assure you, our president does not know where Azel is. He's never heard the word Azel in his life. 
Nothing that you or I say is going to make a bit of difference in our government. You'll never hear Congress say, well, we're going to vote one way, but now after hearing Azel, we're going to vote the other way. It's not going to happen. You're really chanting that chant, not to the president, you're chanting it to each other, including our own children. And you're basically saying, if I disagree with someone strongly enough, I can dishonor them, mock them, slander them, and I can disrespect the office of the president. That's what we're saying to our children. Now, let me be clear, and I've told you this before, I don't agree with our president on most of the policies that he's implemented. I can't think of any I really like. I disagree with him. I think all of those are trumped by his view on life and abortion. And I think that is the greatest issue of our time. It is a biblical issue. And I'm deeply troubled that we as a species are killing our own children and calling it a right. I strongly disagree with him, but I will not slander him, mock him, or mock the office of the President of the United States. Not because I'm a swell guy, but because the Bible simply says don't do it. Did you read the passage a while ago? It starts with the government, and their government, believe it or not, was even more evil than ours. In fact, the emperor had pronounced himself a god publicly and had statues erected in his name. That's pretty bad. And yet Paul says, live quiet lives. That's not what the kingdom is about. Not saying you shouldn't vote. We're in a democratic republic. And of course we should vote our convictions. Of course we should use our First Amendment rights and say, I disagree. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just slandering someone. When I was a little boy... And at school, uh, you'll never see a more professional slander than junior high kids. <laughs> I was good at it. I was as skilled as any kid in school. And we would say the most awful, vile things about people because we were immature. That's what immature children do. Somehow that infiltrated our adulthood and our politics. And so when we disagree with each other, we don't say I disagree. We say you're a so-and-so or a such-and-such. We move immediately to personal attacks. And by the way, that is your First Amendment right. You can do that if you're not a believer in Christ. But if you are a believer in Christ, you've been redeemed by the blood of the, of the Lamb. You don't represent you anymore. You represent Jesus Christ. And what you and I say reflects negatively on Christ or positively on Christ, depending on what we say. And you say, well, I've got strong opinions. I don't mean to pop your bubble, but God is not particularly concerned about your opinion. <laughs> All right. God is not here to listen to your opinion. You and I are here to listen to God and obey him. If it weren't for him, it wouldn't be in us. As the, the elephant said, as a Christian, you and I live to represent him. So first and foremost, you and I don't represent a president. We don't represent a political party. We don't even represent a country. First and foremost, we represent Jesus Christ. Because none of those people died for our sins, but Christ did. And we should say and speak and think in a way that honors him. Back to verse 1, he says, at the end of verse 1, he says it this way. He says, 
to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and show true humility toward men. I love being with my family. As I get older and I realize time is short, I enjoy it more and more. Linda's family is here with her today. And I love it when my kids are here. Gabrielle went back to, uh, to training in Arkansas. But when she was here during Christmas to have us all together, that's a special thing. And the challenge is when I'm together with my family, <clears throat> we typically go somewhere. We'll go to the mall. We'll go out to eat. We do that a lot. Go to the movies. And to get from here to there means we have to get in the car. Well, that's a problem. <clears throat> because I have a problem with my anger when I drive. I'll tell you that before Cherry gets the chance. <laughs> and there are reasons from that. It's, it's, <laughs> let me tell you, I'm a guy just, just like all of you men. And I have an ego. And, you know, when you get in a car and you, you let your male ego take over, we proceed from about, if I can remember them, three basic assumptions. Number one, I get in my car with the assumption that I am the best driver in the history of drivers. <laughs> Number two, I get into the car with the assumption that wherever I'm going is more important than wherever you're going. <laughs> And number three, I get into the car with the assumption that about a 30, at least 30% of everybody on the roads should not have a driver's license. <laughs> and so I have this attitude without thinking about it. We have this attitude when we start driving. Here's the problem. We get to our destination. We fight through the traffic. We're, we get madder and madder. And then we get to our destination and those drivers aren't there. We get out of the car for the restaurant. I get out of the car. I'm mad before I even walk into the restaurant to spend time with my family. And it ruins the joy with my family, as I'll tell you, because I'm already seething behind my smile. And it messes up my life. It messes up my heart and my behavior. God wants you to have a good year. If you're going to have a good year, you're going to have to, we are going to have to learn to be more loving. Now, I challenge you to make this your goal. Smile more, complain less, learn connect, uh, contentment, connect more, and love more, and 2022 will be the best year ever. Pray with me. Father, we come to you today and we want to say thank you for your mercy in our life and your patience with us, patience with me. Forgive us for all those times that we fail you and that we don't represent you well. Remind us that we are not here to represent anybody other than Jesus Christ, first and foremost. What we say and do reflects on him. Give us a loving spirit. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Can I challenge you today? These five things won't make your life perfect, but I'm telling you, it will make your life better. And it will probably make the lives of your family and friends better in 2022. So I challenge you right where you are to say, God, I'll make a commitment today to do these five things for your glory, for my life and my family to make 2022 the best year ever. Will you make that commitment today? Or just right where you are. Maybe God is calling you or your family to join with First Baptist Church and you want to follow him here and you want to come down and say, Pastor, we'd like to join.
or you want to come and kneel and just pray and make those commitments. Or maybe you want to surrender your life to Jesus Christ and serve him. If God is leading you right now to make a public decision, this is your opportunity. Would everyone stand? And as you stand and as you continue to pray right now, you come.